You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here to talk about the Ravens' offensive tackle situation entering camp. Uh, a lot of questions there. In some ways, it's a more settled uh, position than others, but here to talk about with me is Jim Zipcode. How are you doing, Jim? Great, Ken. How are you? Always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Well, I'm uh, I'm back on the RSR forums pretty regularly, and I'm on Twitter. Uh, that's at zip underscore Jim. Uh, and there's one thing I'd like to mention before we go too much further. I had uh, um, <laughs> surgery on my teeth, and I have a weird S sound. My S's don't sound normal. So if I if I sound a little strange, uh, please uh, cut me some slack here. All right. Uh, we'll plan to do that then. <laughs> That's more for uh, listeners, I think, than uh, yeah, right. uh, So <laughs> moving on to the offensive tackle situation <laughs> in camp, of course. One of the Ravens' biggest question, probably their single highest variance player, is Ronnie Stanley. Uh, you know, a player who means everything to this team if he can be healthy and play at even nearer level he did in 2019 or let's say the average of 2018 to 20 would be fine as well but something that would uh, give Lamar some security on that blind side yeah I think that if we wanted to cut this podcast really short uh, like just two minutes long we would say if Ronnie Stanley is 90 percent then this is one of the NFL's best offensive lines and if he's not then uh, hold on to your hats this is a similar situation to last year 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, that would be the short version of this. We don't usually do the short version of anything, <laughs> as people know, so we'll continue talking a little bit. But Ronnie Stanley brings this team an awful lot. I think one of the things, uh, you know, in addition to being an excellent pass blocker, uh, he he has some characteristics that are not too dissimilar to Villanueva. He's just better at what he does, honestly. But he gives a lot of ground in order to mirror his opponent. And Jackson and he have worked out a good system, being comfortable with that, but he gives up a lot of pressures between two and a half and three seconds that are, uh, you know, some light bump or proximity pressures that Jackson is very able to adapt to, probably better than any quarterback in, in the remainder of the NFL. And uh, I think that that's going to be really nice for Jackson to have that comfort back. Villanueva, uh, by contrast, did give up a lot of those slower, uh, slow death pressures that were between two and a half and three seconds, and I could see that in the difference between PFF and my own pressure counts because they use a two-and-a-half-second standard and I use three. Right. But the one thing I'll say about, uh, about Villanueva is he lost his balance a lot in so doing. Even if he was kind of staying in front of his guys, there was just too much uh, feet together, opponent knowing how exactly to take advantage of that and, and him getting uh, pushed around. Yeah, when, when Ronnie Stanley gives up a pressure in that to two-and-a-half to three-second range, it's a matter of the defensive lineman making making a long arm and trying to reach around him or something, and maybe he's touching Jackson, but 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 Ronnie is still there. He's he's between him, or, or you know he's got his butt to Lamar. Uh, it's it's still a situation that a talented mover can work with because he's got an angle. I mean, Jackson has an angle to move that will keep the blocker positioned, even if the, even though he's pressured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, there were even some times, uh, particularly in that Arizona game, where I think they played some games, uh, and this was in 2019, to allow, uh, I think it was Chandler Jones on that end a fair amount going against Ronnie Stanley, uh, to, to, to get some good, decent bull rush pressure where Stanley was taking him to the inside at the last second. And uh, Jackson was doing a 270-degree turn to roll left out of the pocket for some nice big run plays. So they've, they've got a little bit more to their game than, than just uh, you know typical pressure counts that, uh, that go with that. Uh, uh, excellent uh, lineman here with, with Stanley. I mean, he does not have to be as great as he was in 19 no. for the Ravens to be uh, uh, back, but he has to be able to, to play regularly. Uh, they've, they've got to have him for you know, 14, 15, 16 games. Uh, to have a real chance to, uh, uh, to to have a good offensive line this year, you and I are in complete agreement about that. And I would underline the the last, the second to last thing you said, which was that Stanley does not have to be a hundred percent because in 2019 he was the All Pro left tackle. You know that's mm-hmm. that's the top of the chart. He does not have to be at the very top of the pyramid to be very very good and very solid uh, and and a huge asset to the Ravens game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that they missed dramatically when he was not there is the quickness he brings the the offensive line uh, in the run game. Uh, he's one of the very few tackles, particularly left tackles, who can contribute on the backside of a run play. He can find out a way to get to level two, level three, make block a corner, block a safety. Uh, most most guys are on the backside. They have they take a chance at a cut back, uh, a cut block. If you're McKinney or one of the slower footed monolithic 
left tackles. Uh, that may be the best you can attempt to do if the, if the play is uh, is moving to the right. Uh, also, they have standing. to keep their hands off so as not to if they're that slow to not to draw a block in the back penalties and whatnot. So they, to some extent, they have to not do things or be careful. Certainly, be careful about holding penalties yeah. as well. Lots of things and and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and Stanley is a guy who can get downfield and and uh, before. Uh, you know, maybe a safety, maybe the cornerback on that side is figured out. Maybe even a linebacker, uh, he can he can uh, get a move on him and uh, and uh, get a hand on him, I should say, and uh, and uh, hopefully get them. Uh, uh, what's the word? Disrupted. I like the word of, that you used to describe Rand, uh, Ronnie Stanley at the top of this podcast. You called him, I think you said that he was the highest variance player on this offense after Lamar Jackson. I think that that's absolutely right. I think. You know, Lamar's in a tier by himself, but after him, Ronnie's got to be considered the linchpin. He's he's the guy. You know, if he's if he's good, then the Ravens' offense is going to be good, and if he's not good, then then we've uh, then there's there's some struggles on the horizon. Yeah, I I, I I think that's the that's the way to state it. I mean, even like Mark Andrews could have a down year, and there's possibly Kolar or somebody could pick up for him at tight end and. Uh, I, I hate to think that Rashad Bateman would have a down year because that's Bite much your, more problem. Bite your tongue. But, but, <laughs> but, but still, I mean, Tylon Wallace, maybe he goes in there and plays right. next receiver and, and we see, a, we see a, you know, a player who can help the team. Uh, or, or maybe they pick somebody else up. But there's nobody to pick up. If no. Ronnie Stanley is, is not uh, you know, 90% of what Ronnie Stanley was, then there isn't really anybody to, uh, uh, to pick that up, unfortunately. Now, what if Ronnie Stanley comes back and he's not Pro Bowl Ronnie Stanley? He's merely solid player Ronnie Stanley solid left tackle Ronnie Stanley I mean it's not what the Ravens want um, but it'd be better than last year yeah so so uh, uh, yeah I think that would be going really you have to you kind of have to de- define at that point what solid Ronnie Stanley would look like um, you know Villanueva replacement level player last year and uh, and yeah. I, I really mean that in the sense that you could almost go to the waiver wire and and get a guy uh, who could do what he did for the team. Um, Stanley's got to be better than that, obviously. I would think so, too. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. We'll, I, and I, I don't mean he has to be based on what the circumstances are. I mean, it, we need him to be. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so I know that we're about to move on to Morgan Moses, but while we're talking about players who are probably better than Villanueva was last year, Morgan Moses would have to fit into that category. I, w- I would think that if we were looking at a – a scenario of Ronnie Stanley maybe being out the first two games of the year and coming back for game three or something like that, and Morgan Moses had to start at left tackle, that still feels like an improvement to me on the left side. Um, yes, and I'm trying to remember. I looked at this earlier in the offseason, and Morgan Moses had had relatively little ever experience at left tackle yeah. is my recollection. So I'd have to actually go back and look at that again and and look at his, his total number of games he's played there. But it's not many um, in terms of his career. And I want to say it was maybe about eight games in total, and, and some of that was way back in about his rookie year. Um, and if, I'm, if I have the wrong guy and I'm thinking of the wrong guy, that, that's possible. But he played all last year right tackle for, for the Jets. And then if you go back over the, uh, over the past years, I think he's been primarily a right tackle. Right. And I... I, I it might have been his rookie year. He played some left tackle at Washington. Um, he's been a decent run blocker uh, pretty much his whole career. He's been an okay pass blocker. Um, yeah, that's that's what the Ravens need out of him at right tackle. I think that their system actually will make it easier for Morgan Moses, just the way it made it easier for Orlando Brown in his rookie year. Yeah. Do you is he um, 
would I be correct in saying that if Ronnie Stanley couldn't go, that Morgan Moses would be the presumptive guy, or do you think it would be Juwan James? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, if James is on the roster, then they probably like James. Yeah. So it's 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 conceivable that James could be the guy at left tackle. It's not it's not out of the question. Um, Falaleli is a guy I like his feet, but I just don't think he's pro ready really no. right now. I think it's going to take him time. So I, what I'm hoping for him out of out of the season is that he demonstrates enough in the preseason that he is a an option to put in at tackle, and he's a guy you say. Yeah, I give that guy a chance before I'd put McCary back there, and that's asking a lot because McCary, you know, had done some okay things for the Ravens last year. Probably was a CC plus player uh, last year at right tackle in his time there. He certainly had some bad games, but he had some good games too. Uh, there was some degradation as time went on, and that may be a case of of uh, opposing linemen seeing more film, right. figuring out more about how they need to take advantage of length. But uh, uh, it would be nice if, if Falele would be an obvious guy to be the, the, the next tackle up if James is not on the team. Uh, I, I, James is a $3 million man. So if they, if they make the decision to cut him, they can save some significant roster space, and that might be enough to say, and they can do this with Powers as well, uh, add additional guys to IR at the beginning of the year, immediately after the rosters are set, and have those guys available for the year. So three extra rookie bodies there would be kind of nice to have. I would be shocked after our last year's experience if Eric DaCosta was eager to pull the trigger on kicking any pro-experience mm-hmm. offensive tackle off of the roster who's not 35 or whatever Villanueva was. Right. Yeah, it's that's a that's a uh, I think that's a that's a good good bet. So Morgan Moses is getting up there, but he's not that old, and and James is neither, even and he hasn't played in a long time. Uh, you know, really, the the Falili's a young guy. McCarry's in his his fourth year now, right? Fourth, or is it his fifth? Having tr- having trouble remembering. Actually, I believe it's fifth. Didn't he come in in twenty eighteen? I think he tore, replaced Skura as a rookie in 2019. Okay. Is my recollection, but I'll have to I'll have to look that up anyway. I'll I'll, I'll have that sometime during the rest of the show here. Um, this is it's it's weird. Uh, strictly in the context of offensive tackles, I find myself saying things that are critical of McCarry. But in fact, I have a tremendous respect for McCarry. I think he's, I mean, his versatility, his his moxie, I really like him as a player very much. I don't like him as a starter at tackle, but I really like him as an asset on the offensive line and a guy you can throw out there on an emergency basis anywhere on the offensive line. That's a hugely valuable guy to have and clearly a competitor. I just don't, he's not a frontline guy to me. Yeah, that's that's where I am too. And, and it's, it's, what he gives the Ravens the opportunity to do is make a one-for-one switch at, I think, four offensive line positions. Anywhere to left guard to the right, I think he could be a one-for-one switch guy. And then nobody else has to switch. Yep. Everybody else has their same kind of pattern of doing things with the guys that are next to them with one exception, and that being McCary. And McCary comes in, he's a pro, and you know whether that's at center, at either guard position, uh, I'd be, those are the places I'd be most excited right. that, that it would happen. I, I, I'd feel like there was less of a drop off if he comes in at right tackle again. It's a, you know, it's a risk. It's certainly, it's not what the Ravens want um, uh, as, as their first call. If they're keeping Juwan James, I don't think it'll happen yeah. that way. So I think if, if you keep Juwan James, I think we can, we can say this, he'll be the first man up at right tackle at the worst. If he doesn't win the job, well, he won't win the job, but if he, right. he'll be the first man up. Right. 
So what uh, I, is Morgan Moses the guy we want to kind of drill on, in on a little bit? At the, sure, right let's do it. Uh, so I looked at a, a little bit of his uh, game tape today, and I thought that he, as a pass blocker, he looked like a professional. There's reps where he looks excellent occasionally. He's crisp out of his stance. He's on balance. When he stays on balance, he's very effective. Sometimes I think he oversets against a wide rusher, yeah. uh, which means that he winds up giving up his inside to counters or other you know spin moves, uh, and and that's. Um, that's a fairly consistent mistake I saw him make, but that seems to be the one that seems to be his primary mistake. Yeah, that, that's very common with um, larger, slower right tackles in particular. And it's one of the one of the things in the modern game is uh, trying as often as possible, particularly when the when the uh, offense is not showing a tight end on that side to get your best pass rusher over against the right tackle and and give him more troubles but uh, Moses is not a guy who's impressed me terribly much in being able to use his length well to get the rusher speed rusher to the back pylon of the pocket yeah and that would help Jackson a lot and you know it's something Ricky Wagner could do Wagner not a particularly long arm guy but but he was okay and um, uh, Orlando Brown certainly could do it on both sides at, at left or right um, but anyway, this this not something I'm supremely uh, impressed by in terms of uh, uh, of Moses. But good run blocker, uh, he'll be fine down blocking. He'll do a lot of the things they need him to do. Move up to you know half a level uh, to hit the scraping linebacker to seal effectively that right side and give the Ravens a lot of options in in how they threaten the field horizontally yeah. in the run game, which is, that's why they got him. Uh, and it's not to play left tackle. I actually thought that he, Moses looked to me like a plus run blocker, but kind of underutilized. Like he's been playing for some crappy teams that were always behind and had to throw. Uh, but when he got an opportunity to run block, I was actually surprised how effective he was. He looked a, a better run blocker than pass blocker to me. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that's the reputation he comes with, even though he's kind of slow afoot, that he's very technically sound. Um, you know, what the, he, he's good at taking a man one-on-one at the line of scrimmage. The Ravens may ask for more of that from him. Uh, he's also, he'll be fine on double teams if that's where they want to set them up. I don't think that'll happen all that often, but he'll have down blocking opportunities where he's immediately releasing his guy. That's sort of a double team if you want to think of it that way, but there's, there's no intent for him to hold the back end of that right. double team. It's all a matter of, of him just getting a shove and moving up half a level. Uh, when it gets into level two, it's a little more dicey. I don't think he's going to really help the Ravens screen game on the right side as much as some people might hope as being a guy to get out of the space. They're, they'll depend on Linderbaum for that. Uh, they may depend on Zeitler to a lesser degree, but Moses is their third best guy on the right side in terms of getting out of the space and making a block. I mean, Linderbaum is by far the best among all of the five at that, just going off of his 40 time and his short shuttle and all of those metrics. And Stanley be number two, and they, they, they really will, will get value out of him coming back. I think just in terms of the counters they run, I mean, you know, having Stanley as the, as the back end of that counter play is going to look really nice uh, in terms of, of what he can do for you. I, I don't even, my score, in my scoring system, I basically the lead blocker on, on the counter, whether it's the center or guard that's crossing, has to, has to connect or he doesn't get his one for the play. But <coughs> if, the, if the backside guy 
rolls over and is just in position to make a block, I almost I, I, I score them a one even though they don't make a block because so often they really don't have an option to make one. Stanley is the kind of player and has the kind of quickness, or did anyway, that he could find somebody in level two or level three when there's nobody available, you know, within four or five yards of the line of scrimmage. And I, I think he'll he'll be good at that and the Ravens will really, you know, derive value from having him back in terms of their counters is, you know, not as much as anywhere else, but but in addition to all the other things. When we talk about a, a counter play that's going to the right side, is it usually mm-hmm. the guard and the tackle that are pulling on the on the counter play? It's, it, it's either guard tackle or center tackle, and it depends on the defensive alignment. So one of them is left behind responsible uh, for, for the, for the uh, defensive alignment on that side. So is that the odd other. front, it would be the guard pulling, even front, it would be the center pulling typically? Uh, I have to think about that for a second. Uh, I think that's correct, <laughs> but, I, but I have to think about that in those uh, in those terms. If it's a if the one tech is on, let's not let's not go down this. Road. Okay. <laughs> so the reason I I tried to open that can of worms is because it occurred yep. to me that Greg Roman is in the lab hoping to design it on all of his counters so that it's the center and the tackle pulling because of Linderbaum's ridiculous speed. Because uh, Linderbaum and Ronnie Stanley coming around the corner in front of a running back would be sweet. Yeah, I, I think you need to have it, it would have there has to be a three tech on that side lined up against the guard for that to work. OK, so that's I, I think if, if you're going to do if you're going to do tackle center, I think it has to be that way. And normally or often. The three tech is on the other side, lined up against the right guard. All right. So, uh, yeah, it. it, uh, it I mean, sure, you 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 do what's best in in terms of the players. We need Linderbaum to take the back end a lot of one, a lot of double teams here, and and a lot of flat angle blocking, uh, like the Ravens do on the backside of run plays, where he has to. Uh, uh, move it at a at a relatively flat angle to the line of scrimmage to to nail some backside player and not get beaten on length there. Mm-hmm. So I, I I hope that's going to be something he does well. I expect it will be. Yeah. And he, I expect he will do well. Uh, anyway, uh, so we talked about Stanley. We talked a little about Morgan Moses. How we moved on to Juwan James, who I'm I'm hoping know. you're going to do all the lifting on Juwan James because you know, I know nothing <laughs> about this guy. Nothing. <laughs> Other than the knee been, injury that he's been rehabbing for a year and a half. I mean, it has been so long uh, <laughs> since he's played. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's any comments about his play that would still be valid since it's been since 2019. That he had any snaps, then he only 63. So it's really been four years since he's played football. He's a pretty good player for Miami at the end of his five years there. Uh, you know, he had injury problems even there as well, where he missed a couple of half seasons, uh, but uh, but was a pretty darn good player by the time he signed his contract with Denver, and then he just couldn't stay on the field at all. Um, Baltimore got a, uh, you know, a... They took a flyer, gamble. a lottery ticket. Yeah, took a flyer. Was he primarily a right tackle, or did he play both sides? Right. Right tackle. Right okay. tackle. And... Uh, uh, let me just see if, if I can see how much Juwan James has even played left tackle in his career, but it ain't much. Uh, I can tell you that. Um, yeah. All right. That takes me a little bit of work to get here, so I'll have to I'll have to catch up on this if you got something to say. But, uh, you know, a, a, a bigger guy, actually very similar speed 
uh, and quickness, at least when you know they were measured coming out of the combine with Morgan Moses. I wouldn't put a lot of money on either one of them being quicker than the other right now after all the uh, the injuries and time has passed. So uh, hopefully he's a guy who can be technically sound on the right guy. He could be a decent uh, on the right side and be a decent pass blocker, a decent run blocker, and 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 get the Ravens a a valuable backup. And if he's not, I'm sure they'll hopefully they'll figure it out in camp. They'll save the three million dollars and they'll. Uh, realize that they've either got to get that job filled by somebody else, determine whether Falalele's ready, or uh, you know, give it to McCary if he's the uh, the only option they have that uh, that makes sense. I really like the move by DaCosta to stash Juwan James last year for a really low sunk cost last year. Have him do his rehab in the building, you know, have him as as a potential piece to be ready. It, it, I, I think. Describing him as, I mean, he's a lottery ticket, right? Or uh, so, so you know, perhaps a low likelihood to be worth much kind of player. But um, tackles are rare, as we've discovered over the last couple of years. And and it was a really inexpensive and low risk move to to acquire him and stash him. Right. So he's got. Let's see. What has he got guaranteed this year? Uh, they say three million, and he's got a. Yeah, he's got no guaranteed money this year. He's got a roster bonus of five hundred thousand. It looks like. I guess that must mean a roster uh, only by making the roster, as opposed to the fifth year of the league kind of thing. But OTC is showing him still with a three million dollar cap savings after June one. I assume that's correct. Uh, you know, five hundred thousand they gave him up front, um, and they paid him a little bit last year, right, just to do the rehab. What was his salary last? There was some weird thing where they didn't pay him last year, like they might have kept him on a on a non football injury list, I thought, or something. Oh, really? And his cap number ended up only being the prorated bonus last year. Okay. So, so he had some sort of funny thing where he, where he, you know, got something out of his situation. Hopefully, he's he's. Uh, uh, you know, he's certainly going to be one of the players I'm going to be really watching at camp and try to see is he is he really moving around? Does he seem to be into it? Mm-hmm. Uh, does he take coaching well yeah. at this point in his career? You know all those things and and uh, and just see where he is and uh, see if he looks stiff and whatnot. I will say there's still I think very little um, you can tell about offensive line play at camp yeah. just because it's so brother-in-lawish. You know is going the, the the place where you get a little bit is in those two-day practices. And then you're yeah, talking really about the the joint practices where another yes. team comes, yeah, exactly. And then and then of course the, the the games. He'll be one of the guys I'm really focused in on in terms of of uh, how does he perform, regardless of who he plays against. I mean, I, you know, at this point, I'd like to see him perform well against anyone. Yeah, right. Just take snaps, make contact, take contact, uh, move a little bit, do drop and pass pro. Just seeing him do the motions of an offensive tackle would would be a big step forward. For him too, I'm sure he's really eager to, to, to find out what he can do. Yeah, I c- couldn't agree more. And um, you know, if he's not eager, that's a bad sign. Well, sure. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, and honestly, if he's not eager, he's got to know the Ravens are going to cut him sure. and they're going to save the money. So it, it's if if he's not eager, he may as well call it quits before camp. I mean, it's it's e- e- easy to say that, but I mean, rehab is brutal. Like, if he was going to call it quits, do it before the rehab, right? Because that is grueling, grueling work to do if you're going to call it quits. Like, I would be shocked if he could get all the way onto the field and then be like, nah, I've, I've done enough, right? 
I've, I've often heard that about players who are, you know, kind of on their way out of the NFL. I know Ray Lewis had some comments about not wanting to go through rehab again. With I mean, I know there, there's things, but I mean, you and I, and you were older gentlemen. Yes, uh, we are. Who, who would uh, uh, have any kind of a, a 40-year-old shoulder or whatever it might be, in our cases, from sitting at a computer for too long, might have to go and get an uh, occupational therapy for that sort of thing. And I mean... I can't imagine not doing it. <laughs> so, well, just... right. So there's difference, I think, between you and me trying to recover something like normal function and then recovering NFL level function. Gotcha. You know, like he, he could have done all the rehab he wanted to to be able to climb stairs, you know, and play with his kids and stopped well short of being able to take the field on Sunday against, you know, uh, TJ Watt or whomever. Yeah, valid point. Valid point. I, I did want to say one of the things about James, and that's interesting because it, there should be a little Nico Siragusa to the Ravens' offensive game planning during the preseason that I'm going to be really looking to it. Now, when I say that, Nico Siragusa had a, just a horrific knee injury yeah. that was all basically all the tendons ripped apart. He just ripped that leg right off. Yeah, it was, off it was too, gruesome. So. And and it was it was terrible. And and he had not played since San Diego State. And was just entering year two, uh, and and that preseason was really getting his first ever live fire playing time because I think the injury happened before the first preseason. Game. Yeah. So so in his in his rookie year and so his second year, uh, Marty Morningweg was the offensive coordinator and came up with a game plan that involved a number of polls for him and he played a lot of snaps. I want to say he played. 50, 51 snaps that game, which is a lot for any offensive lineman to play, but certainly when you're 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 um, if you if someone does play that many, it's usually because you're you're looking at them at multiple positions. Maybe it's a lot. You mean was, for preseason? It's not a lot for a regular yes, season game, but correct. preseason, right? Correct, because you go through several rotations. It's interesting because the Ravens don't have those same number of rotations on the offensive line this year. Very few in in terms of real rookie talent on this whole offensive line entering camp. But it, in in the case of Siragusa, they uh, Morningwick designed a number of pull plays. He had seven pulls within 50 snaps. And at that time, that was kind of a lot for the Ravens offense. This is pre-Lamar. It might have been in 18 or 17 that this had occurred. Right. For Greg and Roman, so, that would be a first quarter. But yeah. for Marty Morningway, yeah. it was a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's, I, I asked Marty about it. And he said, he said yeah, we, we knew we really needed to get an evaluation on him. And and that's that's one of the things they'll try to do Super in camp is to try and game plan to get a particular player in positions where he might have difficulty just to see where the ed- limitation of his ability is. And it would not surprise me at all if they try and do that with Juwan James uh, during this preseason to really figure out what the what the guy can do. Ask him to scoop. Ask him to uh, you know definitely want to see what he can do on, on the backside of a counter play. Yeah. Well, he, he's on the front side of the play, but he's on the back end of the two two that are countering. So, uh, you know, I, w- I want to see some of that. Uh, I want to see him moving around. I want to see how he does when he's left one-on-one. There's no protection slid to his side. I, I want to see a lot of things about about how Juwan James can still play football after after this long that's time. That's super interesting to, to hear that that's one way, that's one of the things that influences the, the play calling in the preseason. I, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, Billick says oftentimes they don't look to do the kind of things they do in the regular season at all. You, you, he's been on the preseason. By the way, he's outstanding in terms of his uh, analysis, in terms of the preseason, what he gives you. And the, the Ravens in general, their, their, their broadcast crew has been so far ahead of the others with, with Q and the others in there that have, that have been really good inside football, kind of outstanding white 
uh, been really good over the years. But but w- one of the things that uh, that uh, uh, Billick used to say was, you, you don't design plays for your normal advantages you're trying to get during the regular season, where you're trying to get these you know two two on ones on the inside, because you, you know that kind of stuff should work. And you also don't want to give away all of your scheme. Right. But but more importantly, you want to see what individual players can do in individual one-on-one situations and see if they can generate wins. You want to see if your pass rushers, uh, yeah, you could design a complex blitz, but you can also you know let your four guys rush and see who can who can get individual wins out of that. Right. Uh, and you're often not trying to put in your most extreme packages. I was one year the Ravens didn't even really play dime in the preseason. And, and and some of that is they don't want to give it away, but other people know that the Ravens are going to be coming with some form of dime at them. The other part of it is they want to see if they've got an inside linebacker who could possibly cover on third down. So, you know, they're they're trying various things to to see what they have there. So, what's remarkable about that is this is a team that works so hard at developing the. I want to say the back end of the roster, maybe the mid-level of the roster is what I should be saying. And uh, and they've got a lot of decent players that they need to look at, and they have to pull these kinds of game planning decisions in the preseason, and they still have that winning record, yep. that winning streak. That's <laughs> kind of weird. It's it's really remarkable. I think a lot of it is is based on defensive depth yeah. and how good they've been in terms of of uh, of beating other teams to death in the second half. They yeah. don't do a bad job in the first half, but they beat other teams to death in the second half in this during this streak. Yeah, and I also think some of the players, uh, some of the quarterbacks, you know, like like Tyler Huntley, they've, they've had some um, non-traditional statue pocket passers, which, you know, they, they've had some guys who can move uh, as their second and third string quarterbacks, whether you're talking about... Um, Sorley. What's that? McSorley. McSorley, yes, that's exactly whose name I was trying to pull. Um, guys who give you a little bit of a schematic advantage, either in the run game or or uh, when plays break down. So they've had maybe a little bit of an advantage also in the fourth quarter in some of these games beyond just a talent, a talent one. Yeah. I, all right. Uh, the yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, how about we move on here? We've talked about James a little bit. Uh, lately, one of the really interesting people. Uh, on the team, I, I don't know. He may not be a, a regular weekly activation. A lot of that's going to depend on whether James is is uh, you know active and and uh, on the roster. Uh, but Falili may be a guy that the, I think I could see easily being used more of a gadget guy mm-hmm. than as a uh, offensive tackle this year. So yeah, six linemen or goal line, goal line, something like that. Yeah, I could see that absolutely. So it could be a sixth offensive lineman, could even be a seventh offensive mm-hmm. lineman. The Ravens do like to play really large. And, you know, if they run QB power, Falili, I think, would be an excellent guy to have out there on the edge somewhere because he's he's mobile enough that he can, he can get a hand and disrupt some people and Lamar can work off that. Uh, I, I also think he could be a gadget guy, a guy they bring in the backfield at fullback. Uh, a guy they they didn't he know, throw a touchdown pass in college or something like that or or am I mixing him up with someone else? No, I th- I think you might be right. I, I I'm I'm trying to remember, and I, I a lot of things run together at my age. You may have <laughs> now we're talking about a gadget guy if he can yeah. throw too. <laughs> yeah. Well, he could. It, there's, there's definitely there's a lot of things a guy his size can do. He couldn't catch the ball probably. Big soft hands and whatnot and. Uh, it, it, the Ravens had a very big streak early in their history of offensive tackles catching two-point conversions and touchdown passes, and guys like Herman Arvey and uh, Jonathan Ogden, as people know, you know, uh, did it. Uh, I did a, a series at one point. It was actually just, which is not a series, a um, 
an article on the other guys, like receivers who'd, who'd had less than 30 passes for the Ravens, and, or 30 catches, and had had done had had some really special moment. And there's a lot of those guys. It's really pretty cool. But I had to really, really uh, toss out all of the offensive tackles who'd caught a two-point conversion or a touchdown because there were I think there were four of those at that time. I assume my boy Marcus Smith would have made that list. Marcus Smith made a list with zero career receptions, but a huge pass interference penalty yep. drawn in the in the playoff. He had the most productive right. zero catch season you'll ever see for a wide receiver. <laughs> Absolutely, no no doubt about it. That was the that was the play that got the Ravens back in the football game, uh, and then they they three and outed the the Steelers right after that. It was a that was one of those plays. I, we're at the game, and I actually I was on the phone for Marcus Smith on that play. I said, you know, they haven't gone to an all-season. This is the play. <laughs> and sure enough, pass interference. So um, Marcus Smith made a catch earlier in the season that was called back for a holding penalty. penalty. Yep. And he went up in the air, and the defender made contact with him, and the ball wound up flying up in the air. And Marcus Smith landed flat on his back and then put his hands up and caught the ball when it fell back to earth. It was gorgeous. And then it was called back for a holding penalty, uh, possibly on Michael Orr, maybe. Not sure about that. <laughs> that certainly would be a possibility, given the number of penalties <laughs> over the years from Michael Orr. So I always give uh, Marcus Smith credit for two non-catches that season, not just one on the uh, pass interference call. That's a good one. The number one guy on my list from that article, we're kind of straying far from the office, a little bit, yeah. topic here, but this is, this is, I guess, was Ernest Hunter, who had one career catch in the Ravens' inaugural game. And uh, it was a, like a 23-yard play that was key to the Ravens' game-winning drive. And that was, that was the only one he had. It was almost impossible to find any kind of picture <laughs> to put up with this article of Hunter, you know, on this. But, but I was able to, to, you know, play the tape on TV and take a picture of it. And my, my video from that game is not very good. Uh, so, you know, I have this old SD. Right, and it's pre-HD TV. All of, yep. you know, my, my videos of the 2002 Maryland Terrapins basketball championship game, you know, barely watchable. It's so blurry yeah. by modern standards. And then you'd play in the Baldinger game, you know, how Brian Baldinger does all his stuff. But I don't know how he gets away with this. I guess the NFL gives him permission of just basically take a take a video on his phone right. of, of, a, of the TV, you know, kind of thing. And so I could take a picture of that. But uh, anyway. Uh, so my memories. notes for Fa'alele, I wrote this down and I'm not sure I believe it anymore. I wrote down poor man's Orlando Brown Jr. And. I think that 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 sounded really pithy when I wrote it down prepping for this podcast, but I'm not sure I really believe it. I think that he he never had a combine performance as bad as Orlando Brown. He's more um, in shape, more more visibly in shape than than Brown was at at the depths of his uh, of his pre-draft offseason. What do you think of that comparison? Am I off base there or is there something to it? I, I think Falalele's got uh, a little bit better feet. He does not show up with better quickness as it's projected by NFL draft scouts. I don't know. looks like he did run the 40 at his pro day and ran a 560, which that's that not, ain't too impressive. That's not fast. No, that's not. That's Rich Eisen neighborhood right there. But uh, you know, 847 on the three cone. So uh, as as much as, uh, you, know, you know, we talk about some of his feet and whatnot, broad jump of 710, that's really not good. Uh, there's a whole lot not to like, certainly, about about his measurables other than his uh, 
uh, his arm length and and, uh, and his size and whatnot. So when we talk about quick feet, it seems to me we're probably talking about balance in the sense that his feet are quick enough that he doesn't get tangled in them and fall down and go boom. He's he's not quick in the sense of legitimately having quick feet, but he but he stays on them. I, I, what I would say in terms of his college tape uh, at Minnesota was he he was more of a, he was a better mirrorer of his opponent than I think anybody was giving credit for. And he's not a he's not an automatic bailout guy. And Orlando Brown much much more of a guy who tries to use the back pylon of the pocket, tries to use his length and does so exceptionally well. Mm. Falili could do that because he's got the exceptional length. He's over 35-inch arms. Uh, he certainly has the size to put a nice momentum-changing shove on somebody right. um, that, that you would hope would, uh, would give Jackson time to, to finish the play. Uh, anyway, I, I, there's, I think there's things to like about him. I would love if he, if he was ready for the left side at some point this year. And Frank, Frankly, I just love if he's ready for the right side this year. Even well, I think be- I mean, developmental is the tag we're going to put on this guy. If, if, we, if he can get on the field and make a positive contribution, preferably in non-injury situations this year, then that, I think, is an enorm- enormous plus for his, uh, for his future prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, it, that's, it, I, I forget exactly what I had put in the expectations episode for him, but that is basically that, that if, if he gets some game day activations and doesn't use the year, lose the year developmentally, is used as, at least as a gadget guy, that's either a good or great season. And uh, hopefully uh, he'll, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be ready to 2023 uh, to compete for a starting job at, at, at tackle. Um, you know, or, or at least compete to be the number one backup at tackle at that point. Do you see him getting any snaps on special teams for uh, extra points or uh, field goals? Or that's that's the only unit he could play on. Yeah. So could could, could they? Sure. It's it's not not unheard of. Uh, probably helps. I don't see him being a field goal block guy. But yeah. He is tall enough. Um, the Ravens. It's interesting that you brought up his name because I was just talking about this last night with special teams with Michael Crawford. And it is incredible to have two guys like Campbell and Urban on the same team uh, who are definitely oh, six, seven, real, right? yeah, big, tall guys with, with real block, uh, kick-blocking ability. Fahawili, you, you think about where he could be, uh, they, they might be able to find a role for him there. That would be an interesting way to try and get him as a guy who makes space uh, even for another guy or a guy who, you know, is kind of the under guy, I, I think of him on a on a twist or stunt, where <laughs> if two people are blocking him and somebody has to peel off, he can be the one who actually gets the opportunity on a sack. And, and in this case, on, uh, to get his paw up and, and, and perhaps deflect a kick, it would be uh, that'd be pretty cool. Am I correct in assuming that with his uh, probable foot speed issues, there would be no role for him blocking on a punt? Because you have to get your butt downfield and make the tackle, right? Or is that but, not true? Yeah, block, blocking on a punt. No, no, no. I mean, being part of the offensive line unit on a play where punt we garbage, are punting. No. Yeah. No, there's, there's really no place for him. I, you, uh, there's no place on the kickoff returns. There's no place on kick coverage. The kick, kick returns in the, in the two players kind of in the wedge 
is like one place where they where they might have a larger player. But when I say larger, it's usually a backup tight end, mm-hmm. or a card, or a Tomlinson, or a mobile guy, guy. Miles Boykin. Yeah, uh, but but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a um, a mountain. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't be a mountain man. They've they've done a little bit of that with some defensive linemen in the past. It's not unheard of, but but I'd, I'd say this Ravens team would probably not do it. So the only place would be either on field goals, blocking on a wing, or blocking at uh, at uh, 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 a tackle in in that kind of a formation, or or possibly um, on the on the kick blocking unit. So any we're we're saying that any game day activations for him this season, any consistent ones in a non-injury situation, are real wins for him developmentally here. Yeah, I think I think first of all, I think they'll, they'll have to think something of him developmentally if they pick him over James, and James doesn't totally, you know, show up not ready to go, right, uh, or have a big setback. Or, or, or have a big step. Yeah, it could, could be normal, lots of things. But James is, you know, he's, he's gotten to this point. He's, he's, you know, ready to attend camp, it appears. Uh, if, he's, if he's ready to play, I think the Ravens will, will, will see what they have with that. And if it doesn't work out, then Folly Lee is kind of the next guy up. McCary is there as a last resort. McCary's kind of a trump card for the Ravens. I mean, I, I, if one thing, you know, if you're playing bridge, you want to keep the ace of trumps in reserve if you can. Mm-hmm. Or if you're playing any game that involves trump, you probably want to keep right. the ace of trump in reserve, right? And, and uh, you, you can, since you can use him at so many different positions in a non-disruptive way, I think there would be a desire to use a player like Fyle Lely before um, McCary at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just I'm not sure exactly how they'll um, how they'll do that. So he's a, a good chance that whatever opportunity he gets, Falele I'm now talking about in 2022 is based on injury or somebody not being ready like James. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Jared Jones Smith or do you want to talk about McCary slash Tyree Phillips, you know, the possible alternate tackles? Yeah, I mean, yeah, boy, I hope we don't get down to Tyree Phillips again for, for a lot of reasons, but mostly because I want to see Phillips at left guard play play guard yeah. and, and have a real chance to, as a as a backup right guard probably. I mean, they're gonna. I think he's in the mix at left guard, but it kind of seems to me like Cleveland is is probably at least the plurality leader there right now. Not not necessarily a fifty one percent chance to win the job just yet with you know three or four people involved. Mm-hmm. But uh, but probably is the, is the leader on a plurality basis, and and also with his length, I think he makes more sense at right guard, where he can uh, open the front door in the run game, use his length to help torque his opponent. Uh, so anyway, I'm looking forward to that. So we should. So the the name that people will not be familiar with is Jared Jones Smith, who was an undrafted free agent that the Texans originally signed in 2018. So he did time in Houston. He did some time with the Raiders. And I think DaCosta signed him to a futures contract this offseason. And he's well, he was in camp with the Raiders years. last year, actually, okay. was on their practice squad. OK, so, yeah, I don't I, it was at some point in the season they picked him up. So he's not new to the system. So he's got that going for him. He's um, so he had some injury issues in college. Uh, and uh, I think that he was uh, considered a guy who could have some developmental upside when he finished recovering from his injuries. That was, you know, three or four seasons ago. Uh, so I don't know if we if anyone still thinks he has that kind of upside. Uh, he, he everything about him says camp body slash practice squad to me. Um, I don't know if you see him any differently than that. Well, I, I, it, 
nice arm length at 36 and a quarter. After after that, there's not a whole lot to like. He's a lot like Falele, a, a smaller version of him at six six and a half. It's incredible that the six six and a half. He's a small guy. He's the smaller version. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly what he is. Uh, he's a, he's a little bit quicker in some ways. Uh, the bench preps press the bench reps at 20 for him doesn't seem impressive. And I, I follow Lily was a 24. Those numbers are excellent for guys with longer arms. Okay. That's, it was a really good numbers for that. And him at 36 and a quarter, um, that's a, that's a much harder, uh, not that's a, a lot of grading on the curve needs to occur with that. But so Linderbaum yeah. also did 24 reps. Um, yeah. But I think that's worth talking about a little bit because if you look at the bench press, guys with longer arms are at a mechanical disadvantage with that lift. And the, and the world record guys who are lifting a lot, those are your shorter-armed, barrel-chested, you know, fire hydrant kind of guys who are, who are really cranking that lift up. They don't have very far to go, and it's an advantage to them to, to get for getting that lift. Yeah, that's, you're, you're hitting exactly right. If you look at the, at the body type possessed, by the world record, all the pound for pound mm-hmm. strongest people in the world are are dwarves. Yeah, I mean, they're they're you know under four eight. They're little people. Uh, it, 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 the the uh, there aren't any good six eight you know deadlifters or or clean and jerk guys out there. Uh, and and it's equivalent. It's very difficult for 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 to be a great six eight bench guy as well. Yeah, uh, you you can hold your own at, at best. Uh, now that you've said that, I'm going to go look up when we're done here the the name of the actor who played the mountain on Game of Thrones and see what his deadlift record is. It's probably okay. not bad. Yeah, uh, you know, when we grew up, uh, what was the guy's last name? Alexei, somebody from Russia, was always on Wide World of Sports. Was he the guy who dragged the locomotive with the with the chain in his teeth back? No, in the- that's. I think that's another guy. There may be a slight difference, but I'm really thinking Wide World of Sports in the 1970s. There's a few things I remember about that. One is. All the demolition derbies they used to have, and the agony of defeat guy just falling yeah, the a pile guy. down the hill. <laughs> the the guy who caught the bullet in his teeth. By the way, if you listen to this podcast, <laughs> when you see me load this up, tell me the other like classic wide world of sports moments that you remember, and I, I just want to remember some of them with you. I think it'd be cool. But they were, they, you know, they, they, a lot of times they just do whatever skiing event they had available to. But then other times they would they would really do something cool that, that you know you'd never seen uh before and otherwise that would think I, that was kind of the the whole point of the show <laughs> yeah all right so i think we've we've uh we've talked a little bit through this are you of the opinion where are you of the opinion in terms of where mccary will fit into this because i think that's the biggest question backup so he's he's, he's a he's a three or four position backup to my mind um unless stanley is not available to go in which case i think makari is um in the uh in the running to to play at right tackle and will have to be beaten out by a juan james or a falele or somebody like that okay after moses moves to left correct yes yeah okay that's how i see that's how i see makari's fit on this team yeah what about you so so much riding on on ronnie stanley I think that's reasonable. I, I, I think, you know, like I say, McCary's the trump card. So if you can make it work with either James or Fala Lily, that would be your first choice if, if for either of Stanley or Moses can't go. Because um, obviously either one of them could go down in theory. Um, and then if, if you have to use McCary, you go ahead and use him. But then you've you got to realize that you've, you've lost one of your 
uh, good substitutions he had possible at another right. position. But the, the, you know, one of the bad things about Stanley is you're already talking about at least a two-man change off of where you were if he's if he's hurt at some point because your 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 right tackle is having to switch to left yep. and then you're having to replace your right tackle. When you were talking about McCarry a second ago, I, it, it occurred to me that McCarry would have been Earl Weaver's favorite kind of player, like a guy you yep. could you could sub in just anywhere on the field to uh, to to um, for a pinch hit. That's it. so. This will tell a lot about our relative ages. So who's who's the the guy who could sub Bear. anywhere? Okay. Oh, Floyd Rayford. Yeah, that's that's going pretty far into the into the Earl Weaver years there. As some of that was Altabelli and whatnot. But he had his big season in '85 when we when Weaver came back. Uh, you know, it, for, Joe Orsalak was a guy, but he's he's past the Weaver era in terms of of guys who fit that mold. And if you're talking about the early Weaver mold, the guys who could play everywhere, Chico Simone. Mm, that's guy not that a name I know. A lot of people remember. Yeah, kind of a guy who could hit. He's a pinch hitter. He, uh, um, uh, he, he did a lot of that for the Orioles. They, they loved that. Uh, you know, a lot of bench players. The Weaver era, I'm trying to think of who else was a guy who could play just anywhere, who could just play anywhere. And Weaver had a lot of one-for-one platoon replacements. I'm, I'm trying to think of who else so, he had. And, and, and this was tactical for Weaver, right? Like, uh, he wanted to get his pinch-hitting matchups and he wanted a guy who could take that matchup and then go in the field and play the position acceptably. You know, he didn't have to be a star uh, second baseman or a star right fielder or whatever to do that. He had to play that position acceptably, but give Earl the moves that Earl wanted to make in the mid innings. And he was going to sub for defense anyway in the last inning. So, it, you know, it didn't matter. Uh, so, so he didn't need a guy who was great at all of these positions. He needed a guy who was acceptable. You know, one of the things, that, and this is not often talked about, that made Earl Weaver's manipulation of the bench possible was he had an amazing concentration of innings in his ta- in his in his pitchers. Yeah. So he, you know, when they had three and four twenty game winners, I mean, it's because those guys were pitching a ton of innings. Yep. He could get by with eight pitchers a lot of the time, and and now you know it's thirteen. Sometimes it's fourteen. You really want in terms of on your pitching staff and a whole different really game with a, yeah three bench players and. When I, when I was growing up in the 1970s, the offense always effectively had the last answer in pinch hitting appearances. The typical situation, you know, you, you pinch hit a left-handed batter. Terry Crowley pinch hits. Okay, the other team brings in Daryl Knowles, a left-handed reliever, uh, you know, comes in for Oakland to, to, to face him. And then, uh, no, no problem, the, you know, the Orioles have Gary Renneke or they have somebody else ready to go to, to, right. to pinch hit for him. And I'm, I'm, the years are a little bit off of there, but you know what I'm doing. You're trying here. to pull the trigger. You're trying to get the, the opposing manager to pull the trigger on his pitching switch quick enough so you can switch back with your other guy yeah, yeah and you and and you always had two bench players available to get the favorable matchup in the end and and in the end it kind of had it was dependent on the on the uh well obviously both teams are making a choice in terms of how they approach it but the offense had the last chance it's not that way anymore there just aren't enough bench players to do that one a guy is a backup catcher that you have and you, you're loath to do anything with that right people can put your dh in to do it but it's just the game is complete well and if you're if you've got 13 14 pitchers on the roster and then you don't have as many bench players on the roster to, so it's it's a completely different tactical situation it's the opposite tactical situation yep 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 it's a lot of the people who thought platooning was just a fad 
actually turned out to be correct. I don't think they really projected it in the right way, but but it, it turned out to be correct with the with the way modern pitching staffs have been expanded with all these one inning guys. Bill James made a great comment about Earl Weaver. This is obviously thirty plus years ago. He was writing about how Earl could manage to do all of this complex platooning and you know switch this guy for that guy and whatever. And uh, he he. Bill James basically wrote something like, you know, don't try this at home. Earl can handle it. And number two, Earl doesn't give a damn what the guys on the bench think of him either. He was just kind of an asshole and he was willing to do this and didn't really care how the guys felt about it. Well, you know, he rarely had star players that would stand up to him. And Palmer was the one exception. But most of the others were, were, you know, they went along with it. The starters never really had a problem with it all. But Casey Stengel is the guy who had the famous quote that says, you know, the most important thing is is to make sure that the five guys – who are against you, don't convince the 15 guys who are on the fence. <laughs> to, right, the five guys for you and five guys against yeah. you, and don't let them talk to the guys in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so don't let them don't let them that. And Jim, just a pleasure always to talk football, a little baseball, a little bit of everything with you. I'm a little you. bummed and, uh, I didn't fit in enough basketball into this one, so I'll try to think up some good anecdotes for our next for my next appearance here. A little bit from the 2001 Maryland season, uh, a great one to be sure, so uh, happy to have you here. Uh, one more time with your Twitter handle. Uh, it's at zip underscore Jim, or you can uh, just look at whoever likes the tweet that you put out promoting this podcast. I'll be one of them, and you can uh, you can find me in that list. All right, appreciate that. And I'll, I'll actually tag you with that. Okay. So, so, but other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. Uh, DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you really quickly, I promise, in terms of uh, uh, of an idea you have that, that might make a good episode. I'll still have opportunities to do about one extra episode per week, even when we get hot and heavy into camp episodes and uh, you know, the preseason starts and there's more uh, analysis of that looking backwards and forwards. Um, but this is something uh, uh, really looking forward to do, and I want to hear from you. Jim, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure. And thank you for the invite. Uh, I look forward to this a great deal every time you invite me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.